This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Find the entertainment you love with Contour TV and Contour Stream Player. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it. Starting May 5th on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head-to-head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through pain is the name of the game. With so much edge-of-your-seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your sweater. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs beginning May 5th on TNT and TBS. Hey, welcome to Honey Hole Hangout. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice, laugh. Very nice. I was not expecting that one. No. Lackadaisical. A little lackadaisical. Are you okay? I'm dead inside. Why? Oh, I'm kidding. I'm not. Let's get let's get this party train rolling. All right. Welcome to Honey Hole Hangout, guys. We're a group of guys that hangs out, talks about things we like to do outside. Yeah. Sometimes we're good at it. Sometimes we're not. <laughs> yeah. <exactly laughs> Ian's good at catching gar, apparently. Man, I know. Yeah, he got that. Dude, I got so lucky, man. That was such, like, uh, it was, you know, that was the grace of God, Sean. How'd you hook it? So, um, I was fishing, and I was actually fishing for bass, and I had a popper on, and they were hitting pop water, and I caught a few small ones. Then I see it come by, and I was like, I don't have, like, a rope fly or anything. Yeah, what the hell? So, or what the heck, pardon me. So I capped at it and nothing happened. I cat and it comes back and I cast at it again and nothing happens. And I cast at it one more time and I just strip the crap out of the fly. And it starts to chase it and it comes up and it, they open their mouth and he snapped the water. And I was like, I'm just going to go like throw a Hail Mary. So I just like stripped that as hard as I could. And I got really lucky and I caught him in the nostril. And I thought, I've tried to fish for gar and have never been successful on the fly, but right. I caught him right in the nostril and he started uh, swimming. He flipped a little bit and it was pretty close to the bank, to be honest. It yeah. was probably only five or six feet away, like from where I was standing. Still maybe six, though, six feet. Dude, on a popper. That is yes. crazy. That's awesome. Maybe farther than that. Maybe like 10. I'm looking at my wall right now. Yeah, maybe like 10 feet away. It was not like an epic cast or anything. And caught him on a popper right in the nose. And I, I was like, oh, oh, he touched. And then I was like, nah, he's going to get off. And it, I mean, everything came together, man. And it worked out, which is kind of shocking. But I was really surprised. Yeah, dude, that's cool. That's awesome. But, uh- Everyone um, kept sending me gar recipes after. I know. Like, There's uh, this great that, YouTube uh, video on how to make gar balls. Yeah, there is. Who put that out? Like uh, Yeti or somebody? Honey, uh, hole, no, I'm just Honey hole? That that group? 
Yeah, that guy named Brandon Roulette. <laughs> that group that just crossed a thousand views in one video. <laughs> Not our best video. <laughs> the best video. Oh, Not the gosh. Garball video, though. The Garball video is a good video. Yeah. Did we call a lot of trout in the Gatlinburg video? Mm-hmm. Yeah, y'all did. Y'all did good. Yeah. A lot of people apparently go to Gatlinburg to fly fish, and apparently there's no other videos because everyone's clicking on ours. <laughs> right. So if you guys want to learn how to catch trout in Gatlinburg. Downtown Gatlinburg. Downtown Gatlinburg. The most pressured water. Zach's getting it done. Hey, man, we, did. we got Wait, it Wait, so can you just, like, go get a, you know, like a bourbon right after? In Gatlinburg? Yeah. Well, you can get a, yeah. moon, you can get a moonshine. Because you know they have a bunch of moonshine distilleries. Yeah, they got all the moonshine places. My dad's favorite cigar shop is in Gatlinburg. So you're saying it's like right there on the corner Mm -hmm. when you first pull in. He orders his pipe tobacco from there. Really? Yeah, a little bit like that. Speaking of, we're going to get back into our whiskey reviews. Yeah. And I'd ask Cliff what his opinion is, but he's not drinking it. No, I'm sober now. Okay. Yeah, that's great. So, Does Coors Light mean you're sober? It's the non-alcoholic. Oh, how does Light. it taste? Give us a review of the Coors Light, Cliff. Tastes like water. <laughs> <laughs> Could you like imagine water. like a non-alcoholic light beer? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they're out there. Isn't it like O'Doul's? Yeah, it's like a light beer. Yeah, but it's not a light beer. No. It doesn't say that it's a light beer, but like a Coors or a Miller Light. But non-alcoholic. It's water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah be weedy water. Well, uh, Gabe inspired me today to pop open the bottle of Edredor. It's a Highland single malt, sco- single malt scotch. And it is really good. It is. I'm enjoying it. I usually prefer bourbon over scotch, but I am really liking mm-hmm. this a lot. It's, it's, if you're not a scotch drinker, it's a it's a solid option. It's sweeter. I was gonna say it's a little sweeter. That's why I like yeah. it because it's Which a little more like tends bourbon. Tends to be, in my experience, more like Highland uh, scotches tend to be a little sweeter, so they're easier to get into. Yeah. If you're a new Scotch drinker. And what is it? Islay. Those are the ones that are like real peaty, real, real smoky. Peaty, yeah. 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 Which they're good. It's that one. That's more of an acquired. Yeah. Flavor, I think. And I feel like those are the ones that are like, everyone's like, oh, these are the best. So those are the ones I've tried more. And I'm like, it's just mm. like, it takes a while to kind of like get into them. Yeah. Yeah. And I I, I like trying scotches because you get a wide variety of flavors, more so than like bourbon. Yeah, there's like all over the map. I'll be a... Hey, there's a, a... No, I love bourbon. I'll be a bourbon Landed. I love bourbon. Where's what? your EpiPen? Where's what? my EpiPen? There's a B in here. I just want to be sure. It's that's a home. B? It's at home. I thought it was a June bug. No, I think that's a B. Well, go stomp it real quick. Yeah, say, you, why are you asking me where my EpiPen is? Where you can get your boot and go kill yeah, it. I know, right? You have jeans, long sleeves, and a boot. Go kill and it And you're not allergic. Go kill it. Go, it's on the ground. It. It's on the ground. Take no, one he's the underneath the, the shelves now. Well, move it. Out. I'm not moving that. <laughs> move your shelving system. <laughs> Uh, no, this is good. Cliff, shoot it with a bow, dude. That would be so awesome if you hit a, a bee with a bow. You need to get the bug assault. Yeah, I do oh, need a bug assault. Those things are fun. Yeah, I get one. Or, they're they're kind of expensive. I was going to say, they're they like are. 50 bucks or 70 bucks. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah, they're expensive. If someone wants to buy Honey Hole Angling a bug assault, though, that'd be pretty cool. That'd be sick. You'd yeah. be our number one. 
fan. We already have Actually, one fan. Gabe is our number one fan. He is our chop contributor on Instagram. Yeah, I'll kick him off if someone else buys the so Gabe. He gets a top contributor <laughs> tag, and his comments get posted higher to the top. Yeah, Gabe, Gabe buys a bug assault. <laughs> no, I think Gabe has already offered to give us whiskey to try for the podcast. I'll take that over a bug assault. So Ooh. I'm going to take that. I'm not going to get picky. No. I'm not going to get picky. But also, Gabe, we do appreciate your posting and your contributions. Yes. Gabe's uh, awesome. Gabe. Honey Hole, hang, Honey Hole Hangout would not be anything without the people who listen and the people who mm-hmm. comment. Yeah. So. And uh, if you guys ever want to see Gabe, he works at Bass Pro Shop like one day a month. Don't yeah. know which day, but if you're there. Yeah. Back when uh, movies were allowed to be a thing. We would, uh, my wife and I, every time we went to the movies, we'd always like. Back when movies were a thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. Yeah, okay. We would always get our tickets, right? And we'd always leave the house like maybe like 20 minutes early so we could go to Bass Pro. And I don't know what it is, but every time we'd go to a movie, Gabe would be working. Hmm. Like, there's been like three or four times I've walked into the fly fishing section. Were you guys going like once a month, twice a month? I think he works like once or twice a month. Yeah, I think, and it must have been like a certain day. It might have been like a Saturday or a Sunday or something. Mm-hmm. But it was always like. Oh, what is it? It was a bee? Oh, thanks, oh, Cliff. Okay. Cliff just saved my life. Dang. Uh-huh. I mean, technically, we either Cliff or I could have been stung and then we you know, could have taken one for the team. That's true. Because then he would have died. But that's true. He died anyways without being able to use a mm-hmm. stinger. So That's one less flower that's going to get pollinated Cliff, thanks. Yeah, that's true. They're, they're dying species. You call it. You know, we're supposed to be outdoorsmen. I know, right? We're conserving the world and you're out there killing honeybees. Is one of the murder bees. Yeah, the hornets. The murder hornets. Or the African West Which African I bees. don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I've heard everyone talk about them, but I don't know the story behind them. So maybe so they, that would be oh, like yeah. a good, like, neat things in nature, Ian. Yeah, Ian. Murder hornets? Yeah, murder yeah, hornets. Murder hornets. Because I don't Dude, know. I, I don't, have a fire story today. I don't know about them, but like maybe in the next couple of weeks, uh, you could do a murder hornet story. But sweet. can you hunt like mur- I mean, I guess you can hunt murder hornets, but like you're not going to eat them. They're big. It would be considered hunting. It'd be considered killing an invasive species. Yes. I'm just imagining. It's not hunting when you kill flies. It's true. It's not hunting when you kill the flies that are getting in your potato salad from Rudy's. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> imagining like somebody, <laughs> like somebody's <laughs> grandpa from World War II salad. with like a flamethrower just going after murder hornets, like. That's you true. Know. You know, that might be a good way to take them out. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to settle this once and for all because this is the last time I want to talk about it. What are we settling? Killer Fuzz responded to our last... Where we debated if he was where we debated where, Whether we debated whether he was arguing with us or not because he was not being specific with his posts. And what did he say? He said... <clears throat> and... I still kind of think, well, let me read it, and then we can say what we think. And this is, anyway. Heavy arrows make light bows more lethal. What I heard one of you say that I disagree is that light bows aren't lethal out to farther distances. Hunting distances for bows are 15 to 30 yards. A 40-pound modern compound can smoke an arrow at that distance. A 40-pound traditional bow can hunt at those distances. I quit using compounds when the performance was negligible between traditional and compounds. If you're having problems tuning a traditional or compound, add weight to the arrow, 
either point or knock end, and you may see performance gains. When I actually saw a speed gain when I increased 50 grains to my point, and then he said I was arguing. All right, so here's the deal. We are all doing this for fun. None of us is claiming to be experts in anything. Do what the heck you feel like doing, Killer Fuzz. I'm not talking about it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, okay. Wait, I have a question. This I mean, okay. all, all, I can, all I can say is the stuff that I've read, the stuff that I have learned, the stuff that I feel, that's what I'm going off of. Mm-hmm. Killer Fuzz, if you have your own thing that's working for you, do that. I'm not saying don't. To, yeah. Don't. If you prefer hunting traditional, go hunt traditional. I prefer a compound. Yeah. That's me. That's all I'm saying. And everything you read from Easton's page to Matthew's page to Hoyt's page to the article you sent us to anything like that, they all said that they were shooting 46 and above pound bows. The number that I quoted in the original post was, I wouldn't shoot anything for hunting specifically under 45. That's me. That's my interpretation of what i have read and done i'm not saying if you live in the state of texas that does not have any weight bearing or like poundage bearing of how heavy the draw has to be if you want to shoot a two pound bow go shoot a two pound bow are there states that have regulations on that uh a few yeah like what do they set it at like probably 35? california i think the the state i think the standard and I'm not, I'm not, don't quote me on this. I'm not saying right. I'm the expert or yeah, anything yeah. like that on it. But, what do you th- but I do think that there are a few states that have it set at like 40 pounds. Okay. And I even think that a lot of it is like very species specific when it mm. gets into right. that. Right. So maybe like whitetail, 40, but if you're doing like mule deer, elk might jump up a little bit. Correct. And also what we were saying is a lighter pound bow shooting a heavier arrow the physics of it says that the heavier arrow would not go as far on a lighter poundage bow. Right. And that's just physics. Yeah. That's all I was saying. Mm-hmm. Going, can go I'm going to give my opinion, and I am a newbie at archery, but the people that I know, I, I know a handful of people that hunt uh, traditional bows, and I do not hunt traditional bows, so this is what they're telling me, is that they shoot 12 yards and in. Is their number. To what? Say that again? 12 yards. Within 12 yards with a traditional bow. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you want to shoot 30, that's fine. Yeah, but if you feel comfortable with it. And in, in my mind, and I could be wrong on this, but if you have a lighter poundage bow at further distance, it takes more time for the arrow to travel to the target. So you're opening yourself up more for things to happen like in line between jumps your shots. Yeah, like line jumps and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that, you know, a traditional bow can kill an animal at that range i just in my mind don't i see the extra time it takes for the arrow to get there to cause potentially cause problems yeah but that being all of that being said we all have favorite flies for a reason we all do things we do so if you feel confident taking an animal and you think you're doing it ethically where the animal is suffering at a minimum but you're still bow hunting then you know what? More power to you. And this, and it really comes down to practice. Like, yeah, for sure. I, and I feel like I don't even shoot my compound enough, much less me getting out and shooting traditional to even like, I wouldn't 
Oh yeah, somebody even. with a sixty pound compound and sixty pound compound bow with the perfect arrow setup, perfect broadhead, if they've only shot it a couple of times, they're gonna be less effective and more unethical than somebody with a traditional bow mm-hmm. shooting at thirty and forty if they shoot it all the time. And yeah, that's that's pretty much all we're gonna we're not gonna cover this again. That's that's pretty much it. But I think we like half agree. Uh killer fuzz. I I don't know what else to say. Do what you want to do as long as do it's what legal. you want to do. If if it's legal, you're good. We're not gonna yeah. We're not gonna we're not gonna argue about it anymore or debate it. I guess. So let me get into the questions. Question number Ian, one. Ian, what albums do you like for trips or travels? Somebody asked that. Yeah. Yeah. Josh. Who was? What's up, Josh? Josh. Josh Smith. What's up, dude? Yeah. Um, okay. Um, man, it really depends. Like, I'm a huge music fan, and that's pretty much all I post on Instagram. So if I have, like, nothing to post, I'm not posting pictures of, like, a dog. I'm posting pictures of the music or on the story. Um, for trips, man, okay, I'm going to break it down. In the morning, usually something, okay, we're going to break it down a few different levels. Fresh water, <laughs> fresh water like little trips like trout usually something like chill acoustic i love gregory isaac askinov iron and wine like Ooh, really yeah. just laid back really like mellow m ward kind of stuff yeah. um like soft acoustic stuff salt water dude i love blasting like kings of leon like you know, second day on the water, you're about to go out there and slay. You're trying to amp yourself up. Um, <laughs> uh, a lot of like nine. I love nineties or uh, grunge and hard rock. So alternative stuff. So like Nirvana, Soundgarden, uh, Texas bands, the Toadies, things like that. Dude, um, I love the so, resurgence of the garage band right now. Of like, it's kind yeah, of thank you. Oh right? my gosh, yeah. oh dude, it's great. I grew up not the music to, Oh man, there's like great bands right now like Snail Mail, uh, yes. uh Lucy Dacus, I think, uh Phoebe Bridgers, man, like they are killing it with like this like it's like new but like not mid nineties, like not grunge, but definitely just like garage band is great. Mm-hmm. It is awesome. I know when we did yeah. that trip to uh, New Mexico, we went like old school and listened to stuff we used to listen to. Oh yeah. Because what I used to listen to is very different than what I listen to now. But it's like if you're on a long road trip or you're driving 12 hours, it's like let's run down Nostalgia Lane. <laughs> you just hit everything. And you just hit like all the stuff you used to listen to. Yeah. I'll listen. To, do you guys listen to – well, actually, one thing, <clears throat> and I uh, I love listening to like The Grateful Dead. Like if I'm traveling across mm-hmm. country just because oh, they're – or like Americana because they're the – you know. I have a comment to make uh, on that certain, when you're done. There's certain perceptions of the Grateful Dead, um, which I don't meet, but um, I'm just going to leave it there. But I love listening to their music just because it's like a really nice mix of like, it's not too slow, it's not too fast. No, yeah. it's per- it's like you said, it's like the perfect road trip, like American Beauty, you can put that album on okay, and just chill the whole yeah. time. So, look, I, I like Grateful Dead. I don't love Grateful Dead. Yeah, I don't understand like the... The like hardcore following of Grateful Dead and how every like there's rest like I went to a restaurant 
in like Broken Bow. There was like a pizza place and it was all themed around Grateful Dead. Like fly companies make reels to like Grateful Dead well, artwork. They were, they were like the first cult band. I mean, so you had you had Beatles, obviously. You have like Rolling Stones, right? But the Grateful Dead was that first band, especially being uh, an American band, where people would get yes. in their vans and follow them all summer long. Like they would literally go from town to town to town. So you would create this culture around the band. Um, and it was like the first time in American history, especially in the 70s when like we were having this renaissance of like people changing who they are, what their values are. Yeah, 60s and, and 70s. Yep. And Grateful Dead represented all of that. And so a lot of people really. Uh, so are you saying the that. current like climate around Grateful Dead is like more nostalgia? For sure. For like, the pe- like it's older people that like used to listen to Grateful Dead and yes. they want to buy a fly reel with the Grateful Dead logo on it yeah. and they want to make well, their restaurant. Well, a lot of people like our age, it's, I would say, and Zach, tell me if you agree with this, like they call them deadheads. That's the term. Yeah. yeah. Like I have, I, I know people who are deadheads um, and they're all across the spectrum, but mostly they got it from their parents who yeah, I was are say in the their thing. late 60s or 70s right now and maybe went to a few shows. And, um, yeah, like Zach said, I mean, the reason they're so popular is because didn't they tour Zach more than like any other band? They, they have did. like one of the highest records of tours. Yeah. Well, they, they toured at one point for like two or three years straight without like stopping. And I don't like, again, I don't know the exact number, but, um, they were just known for consistently touring instead of doing the normal, uh, release an album tour for four months to four to six months, then uh, create your new album, release it tour. You know, like they just consistently toured. Okay. And they the music I can kind of, I mean, that kind of makes yeah. sense, but I still don't, still don't understand, I guess like the current cult following. I think like Ian was saying, Dead. it was like those parents hip, pass it down. Right? Maybe a little bit of that, but I think it's also too, like those parents pass that down to their kids and, you know, it just keeps going. Plus, like Grateful Dead, you know, toured forever, and people still were able to see them. And mm-hmm. people like jam bands could, too. Like jam bands in general have yeah. a huge cult following. Like uh, Fish. Um, what is it? Uh, the guy who does Crash and Dave the Matthews yes. even at some point. Yeah, yeah, Dave Matthews. You know, like all those bands. Like they just get these cult followers that just love everything about them. Because of the community that's around it. Mm, I gotcha. Cool. The next question from Gabe, our top contributor. Oh, yeah, Gabe. Uh, de- how do you determine trout flies, what trout flies you're going to fish when you're fishing new water that you haven't fished? I think, I mean, I don't know about you guys. There's a couple like, what did you do in Gatlinburg? There's a couple yeah. different things I do. Um, one is I always do a little bit of research beforehand online. Um, so, you know, there's always some forums or there's really good resources for certain waters. Um, kind of like what we talked about with our fly shops. Uh, I'll go in, you know, deal with the people in there and buy $40 worth of flies, you know, just kind of pick their brain on different waters mm-hmm. around the area. Um, or last thing too, is you just have those handful of go-to flies. Like I know if I'm fishing trout, I'm a usually going to start off with a nymph rig. Uh, mm-hmm. unless I see a hatch literally happening or unless somebody has told me like, Hey, always do a dry mm-hmm. dropper here. I always start with a nymph rig. Um, and, uh, I will usually put some, something flashy up top, a little bit heavier and then followed by something usually a little more naturalistic. 
or more natural looking. Yeah. I'm going to even take the question a little bit further and like, let's say you can't research or like you can't visit a fly shop. What do you like? How do you determine what you put on? I go with like my tried and true confidence flies that I yep. catch fish anywhere for me, like pheasant tails, like hare's ears. Those are like tried and true classics. If you have them in your box, you take them to a trout stream. Yeah. Odds are they're going to work. Yeah. I usually, I'll put on a purple Frenchie and then like you said, a pheasant tail. Yeah. Um, squirmy worms work well. It depends on the pressure too. Having a little bit of knowledge, like I'm not going to go to like the dream sh- stream of the plat and then like fish like a big pheasant tail. I'm not going to catch any fish like that. So like you know there it's like midge fishing. Um, you know if you have at least like okay, I know the San Juan is a midge river and I know I'm probably not going to be able to catch something on a size 12 pheasant tail. Well, then I might, like, go with the zebra mitch. If you at least have, like, that baseline of knowledge. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to, like, a blue river, like a blue ribbon trout stream that, like, has normal hatches and all that, I'm probably going to, like, start with, a like, a hare's ear or, like, a pheasant tail if I wasn't able to get fly shop information or, um, research you know, before research beforehand. Yeah. Also, if I'm fishing a stream I know is probably stocked, I'm going to say it. I'll fish an egg first. I'll put usually I'll put something uh, natural or and then I'll put like an egg mm-hmm. or something super bright like a mm-hmm. bright green inchworm or something like that. Yeah, I like mop flies too. Yeah, and there's like good like you know sometimes if you if you don't know what to fish there's like you know flies that that are like known as like searching patterns um, and you guys can like look up what those what those are but they tend to be like brighter colored flies bigger flies and it's just like maybe like a big stone fly and it's just like kind of testing the water searching for for searching for trout i know like a lot of guys that like fish fly fish team usa and stuff like that they have searching patterns like they get to a they fish a lot of different streams and a lot that they haven't seen before and they fish a lot of searching patterns and sometimes they never change flies they're catching so many fish on their searching patterns you can also flip rocks like i remember when i went to wyoming um i flipped a couple rocks saw some stone flies boom i put on like a pad's rubber legs um, that's another good light. Did it work out for you? Oh yeah, it did. No. It, that's another good one to just like have in your box. Pat's rubber legs is like a stone fly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if they're feeding on larger, larger guys. Yeah. But, um, it just depends on how much information you can get and then what it looks like when you get to the river. And if you just like pay attention to like what's going on around you, like you get to the river, you see a hatch or you, you're walking down the river and every time you step, like grasshoppers are jumping off, you know, you might start with a grasshopper. Just like, if you just like pay attention to the little things going on, then you can pick up something to, to start with. For sure. Yeah. Um, base layer setups for under 50 degree weather. With coward. Hmm. <clears throat> For under 50 degree weather? I mean, you, you asked specifically for base layers. I think that's the starting point. I would do... Yeah, I mean, what, I, I, I'm doing Merino. Like, merino wool is like the material number one. And then they, they sell material based on like how heavy... Yeah, there's definitely a temperature rating that comes along with them. Mm-hmm. And you can look at them. Um... I would say merino is probably one of your better ones because it's a natural material that's odor resistant. Yeah. That's what <clears throat> I think that that would be a good starting point. Mm-hmm. I also know like uh, 
Icebreaker, no, Icebreaker is Merino. Icebreaker's Merino, Smart Wolf's Merino. Yeah, I, also I would say, too, I would say base layers go Merino. Yeah. yeah. Also, I would say fleece is a decent option, but fleece can also is can be really bad for the environment as well. Like more and more people, as they buy especially cheap fleece, those microplastics when you wash in the washing machine end up in the oceans. Our fish eat it, and then you end up eating those microplastics. I've never heard that, but I don't know. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not brushed up on that. Yeah, it's like a. I would say it's more recent. Now, if you have fleece, keep using it. It's great. If you have the opportunity to buy something that's not fleece, I would recommend doing something like you guys said, merino wool. Plus, I think merino wool is actually more efficient anyways. I would say, yeah. Um, I would say... Though what you really should be asking is like your clothing setup for a sub fifty degrees. I think your base layer is just a single part of it. Yeah, I think he. It sounds like maybe he already has that stuff, and like it sounds like this question is more to like I have like a jacket and I have like a shell. Yeah. Maybe it's like I'm missing the base layer piece. Give me some ideas on like what to do. Merino. The 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 one downside to merino is that it's the most expensive option. Um, it's definitely worth the price, but you could do like, you know, some kind of like synthetic option. Like Patagonia makes like their capoline. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it keep, kept me warm for a long time. Mm-hmm. The nice um, thing about Merino too, is like Cliff was saying, it's because it's odor resistant. You can actually wear it one day, let it dry out and wear it the next yeah. day. And I haven't had an issue doing that. Yeah. And that's why I like, like Merinos or, uh, like ex officio. And those kind of, oh, yeah, I know yeah. the ex officios are a synthetic, yeah. But that quick drying and their low odor, resi- they're odor resistant, and so like you can get longer wears out of one pair yeah. than you would. So you don't have to pack as much. Mm-hmm. I would say for base layers too. What I look for, and again, that's what I look for is I like that waffling pattern mm-hmm. on the yeah. inside because mm-hmm. to me that uses those the slits between the the waffling mm-hmm. it allows for like a tiny layer of air to get, to get in yeah. and then your body heat is used to warm that up and that keeps you warm yeah, and that's, circulating that's how the cat that's how the caplings are mm-hmm. and you're not going to find that type of waffling on like a merino wool it's going to be more on a synthetic yeah. um and like the merino it's it's just like tried and true. If you ask anybody in any other sport than what we do, like if you if you t- talk to like mountaineers, skiers, whatever, they're all they're all wearing merino, which is kind of like known now as like the standard because of the odor resistance, and that's big on hunting. If you're fishing, not really a big deal. No. Um, and then also, it, if you get it wet, it's still eighty percent warm. Yeah. So yeah. even if you like take a dump that material is still offering you warmth, whereas a synthetic is not going to offer you the warmth. You mean if you fall in? If you fall in. Because yeah. I've yeah. taken dumps before, and it's not been cold. It doesn't mm-hmm. affect how wet my pants <laughs> get. <Yeah. laughs> if you, uh, so yeah, if you fall in, take a swim, or whatever, then Merino is still going to offer you warmth, and uh, whereas synthetic, synthetics are not. Yeah. So uh, that's, another, that's another big thing for Merino. It's also merino is very like good at like pulling moisture away from your body. So like if you're sweating a lot, um, what's going to happen is you're hot, you're working hard, you're hiking, and you're sweating a lot. And then when you stop moving, 
that sweat is going to get chilled by the cold air and it's going to make you cold. Merino does a good job of like pulling sweat away from your body. Um, Synthetic does too. What'd you say? Synthetic does as well. It does good. Some of the newer ones. Yeah. But I would say no matter what you decide to do on a base layer, like don't necessarily get what you can afford for sure. But it's not something that you really want to cheap out on. Like, I wouldn't say go to Walmart and get the cheapest thing. Like, that old school white checker thing. I wouldn't cotton, get cotton. I wouldn't get cotton. Base layer. Mm-mm. I avoid cotton in the field at all costs, I would say, no matter what. Right. But I would actually... I actually have spent good money on base layers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's base layers that, like, I still use and keep Well, yeah, because, I mean, like, even on waders, sometimes you're out, it's 30 degrees, you see snow on the ground, but you're in the water, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. you want stuff that's going to keep you dry, and you want something that's going to keep you warm. So, yeah, money, anyone that's going to last. Top five items you take on hunting trips besides a gun. Um, I'm going to also put in there, or bow. Yeah. I'm going to say... You're gonna need bullets and or arrows. Yeah, should we comp- like? Does that? Go I'm just with being it? smart. Oh, I was like, does that go with <laughs> it? I'm just being smart. <clears throat> um, top five items take on hunting trip besides a gun. Is it like we just have a gun and we have to like pick five items, or we'd like saying like say gun like and clothing? Items, five items that you know for sure you're gonna need. I am really big on like really paranoid on scent because I don't know how to mind my wind as well as I'd like. So I always take like, I always take and I always overdo like a field spray of some sort, either dead down wind or sick scent killer. Um, if I'm hunting hogs, I don't necessarily use a cover scent, but like, this weekend when I went out for deer, I was putting cover scent all over me on top of the scent eliminator. So, like, taking away my human scent and trying to do a more natural, like, fresh earth scent or doe piss on the bottom of my boots scent. Mm-hmm. Um, I have learned to take... Um, rubber gloves for cleaning. Do you wear gloves every time you clean? I no, but I'm getting more to where I do, especially the larger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean that seems like um, rubber gloves seems to me like. Uh, but it's something. It's I, it's an it it's nice to have, but like we're saying, like you can you can take it. five items. No, I would take them. Because if I got a large gamed animal, especially like a hog or something like that, and I'm cleaning it, one of the things that I do when cutting out the entrails is I'll take, and I learned this from one of my friends, take my finger as I'm cleaning out the intestine, and I'll literally shove it into its butt, and then I'll take my glove off, and I'll stuff it as far as I can in there. And that way, when you're cleaning out and you're pushing through, there's none of that excrement coming out of it 
to drip onto the meat as much. It's a safeguard. So I always keep rubber gloves with me for that. You guys reason. missed Cliff's visual. Mm-hmm. It was pretty nice. It was nice. Yeah, he uh, he made a booty hole with his fingers and then <laughs> took his glove and, <laughs> and went through it. So it was, you know, it's not, I, I know exactly what you mean now. Um, no, I get it, but I've like I've never cleaned an animal like wearing a rubber glove. And if he's like, okay, if he said top five items you take on a hunting trip besides a gun, I'm being like, okay, I'm bringing like a knife. I'm bringing a knife. I'm probably bringing a first aid kit. I'm bringing a flashlight. Well, that's only I've only done two items. I know, I know, but those but seem glove, maybe glove unnecessary. probably wouldn't be like my top ten. It, it's something you don't think about, but once you true. once you start using it and you see how it's used and utilized, like can I get away from without it? Yes, but I can also get away from yeah. without the knife. Or you can see that's the I feel like the knife over anything else. Yeah, is how are you going to clean an animal without a knife? Grab. You're not even gonna be able to use your rubber gloves without a knife. <laughs> right, but I'm still I'm putting it on that same level is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So go go through your. I, I well, could go, go without. Um, go through your five, and then we're going to criticize. Yeah. <laughs> so gloves. We've already we've we've cut that up. Gloves. Flashlight. Yep. Knife. Mm-hmm. Chapstick. But okay. that's for my own personal. Yeah. See, I bring sunscreen for the same reason. Um. Gloves, knife, chapstick, flashlight. I got one more. And field spray. Yeah. And field spray. Are you a TP bringer? Not on all hunting trips. Yeah. But I do normally keep a stack of, like, dude wipes in my go box, and I'll put them in my bag before I head out. Yeah. Because my go box goes with me everywhere. Yeah. And then I can just pop it open. Grab what you need. Saying five items is really limiting. Yeah, but, but, I, don't yeah, but think, that, I don't think it's necessarily like five or die sort of thing. I think it's just like what five do you no, make it's sure a, it's you a, have? It's a thought ec- exercise, and I get that, and yeah. I respect it for what it is. But I would say, I would say those are my five because I'm counting like if you have the gun, then you have the ammo. If you have a bow, then you have your arrows. Your arrows. Yeah. I'm counting that all as one. And we'll eliminate clothing from the discussion. Yeah, yeah. I think Other I would, just, I like would swap extras. your gloves for a first aid kit. I would bring sunglasses. Oh yeah, for sure, and or binoculars. Oh yeah, binos. If um, I'm if I'm bow hunting, I would want a rangefinder. Rain potential okay. rangefinder. Yeah, there's there's a lot out there. Um, no, this is all stuff that I keep in a kit. Yeah, but there are certainly like things that I'm like. Yeah, but I think we're taking the alone approach. It's like you can only take ten items. You can only take five. You can only take five items on your hunting trip. I'm taking a backpack of stuff that I think I'm going to use. Yeah, back, the backpack full of the important gear is your items. You're a door on an adventure. You get five items to pull from your backpack. <laughs> <laughs> cell phone. I always take my cell phone. Yeah. yeah. That's true. That's an, I mean. A, it gets monotonous and blind sometimes. Hunting license. <laughs> it's oh, a, gosh. it's off it's all yeah the head. gloves are getting low on yeah. the list cliff my <laughs> <laughs> hunting license is on my phone that's true that's true so if you have your phone you you get an extra you know cliff, and your phone has a flashlight in it so flashlight can go away yeah i like a regular flashlight though i would take a headlamp yeah. over like an actual flashlight i'm counting it all as the same thing 
Cliff doesn't forget anything. Like when we go hunting or fishing, Cliff's got Cliff's got the group covered. Yeah, I'm like, hey, which I'm oh, super my, thankful for. Yeah, I'm like, oh, it's, hey, why it's, oh, it's hard for this. it's hard for Cliff to do a five item exercise because Cliff's got zip ties. Oh, you know what we could do? We could do a YouTube video. How does Cliff pack his hunting I like go that. box? Yeah, like everything Cliff brings to a hunting trip. Oh, yeah. it's been switching around so much here recently. Like I've been cleaning. Like you it can't out. fit everything you would want to bring in a go box. Is get to that point. Oh, that's that'd be a good YouTube video, Cliff. Yeah, we're gonna have to do that. There you go. And then because, I'll do like my fishing go box because my go box has been changing out because there was stuff in it for dove that I'm not probably going to use for the rest of the year now. Mm-hmm. And then I had my tree stand set up stuff like my harnesses and all that in the go box. But that was taking up a little too much room. And then I was like, I can just pack this in my bag. So I took that out. Um, I had a camp stove in my go box. And I was like, I'm not going to really use this for a while. So I put it away. I do have zip ties. I have those reusable twisty ties. I have first aid stuff. Field spray. Yeah, we'll have to go through it on a YouTube video. I want to. Um, I think we 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 got some pretty good items on there. Well, we got a for trip. You guys to think about. We got a trip coming up this weekend. And if y'all want to come over tomorrow night, is when I'm probably going to be packing it. We could do a video while we're out there on the trip. Yeah, I'm thinking we just watch you unpack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, what Cliff? What you bring? All right, this video is going to be two hours long. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I can get there pretty quick. <laughs> uh, favorite lunch snacks after hunting or fishing? What a burger. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Whataburger is a good go-to. It seems like every time we go hunting, it's Whataburger. After. I don't think. I think the majority of them of my trips end in Whataburger. Yeah. Yeah. Or thinking. a burger joint in general. Mm-hmm. Usually start with breakfast tacos and end with Whataburger. Yeah. Ian, what do you think? Dude, <clears throat> when I'm trout fishing, like, and it's cold, like cheeseburger. Yeah, Whataburger's a great one. Grist Mill after the um, quad always ends up being like, that happens a yeah, lot. Yeah, it's good. It's just, it's not the place, like if I, it's not consistent. It's like the one thing we do once a year, that's really nice, you know. But like if it's, I. It's a little, if you're going out a lot, it's a pricey to do it as like your standard go-to. That's what no, I'm thinking. but like I'd say like three to four times a year, I go fishing with somebody, we end up at the Grist Mill afterwards. And, and Gristmill, I eat a burger, and it ends up being like 15 bucks. That's true. Grist Mill actually, for what the Grist Mill is, it's not that expensive. Mm-hmm. Like you Dude, can get, they give you so much food. Yeah. Oh the drinks gosh. end up it's being amazing. expensive. So if you end up buying drinks. Yeah, I mean, like you can get it out of there for under 15 if you had to. Mm-hmm. Which, don't get me wrong, it's more expensive than Whataburger. Yeah. Um, Man, I like coffee. Like, you guys make fun of me because I drink coffee, but, like... No, we make fun of you because you live on coffee every 30 (laughs) minutes. And you don't drink water. You're going to die at 35, Ian, if you don't drink some dang water. Drink some water, Ian. Dude, I only got four years left, bro. (laughs) (laughs) No, Ian's the type of person, like... You can be driving down the road at 9.30 or something, like, almost home. Oh, yeah. And he's like... Hey, stop at Starbucks. I need some coffee. <laughs> and I'm like, we're going to bed in like 30 minutes. How are you going to drink coffee? 
It's like it puts me to sleep. Yeah. He wants coffee he every 30 dude, minutes. He puts some melatonin in his coffee. Are you, do you, have, are you bringing hot at night this weekend? Huh? I'll have some. Do you have any coffee at the place we're going? Yeah, my dad's house? Yeah, I yeah do there's pref- definitely coffee. Okay, cool. I do prefer He's coffee, a big coffee in drinker. the morning. Sweet. Cool. Yeah, I prefer coffee, too. Yeah. It cleans out the system, too. You drink a cup of coffee, get everything cleaned out, you're good to go for the day. That's true. You hold it in, you're time to go mm-hmm. bloop, 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 bloop all day. So. All right, last question from Will. Would you ever book a guy that you knew caught big fish but had a bad reputation? Depends on no. the bad reputation. <laughs> you mean like a guy that's just, just going to ride? I'm not going to talk on this one. Um, okay. Well, I think, Will, because uh, there's that whole, like, uh, Instagram drama um, with yeah. the, uh, with a, I'm not going to, we're not going to call anybody out on the podcast, but there's been some drama recently, and. Uh, not with our Instagram. Not with our Instagram, but it has been brought to our attention, and it's it's pretty interesting. Um, and I would say that this person only posts pictures of big fish, but maybe isn't always the most ethical um, and how fish are caught. Um, so I don't know. I I, I, I pro. I've I fished with. I don't know. It's I'm like, out there to have a good time. Exactly. And if if I know that, like, I know guides who are jerks to their clients, right. and their clients continually rebook them because they put them on fish. But that's not like that kind of reputation. If you come off as like if you're a guy that comes off as like a jerk and not fun to fish with, like I'm out there to have a good time. And if uh, if I know you have a reputation as like not being a nice person to be on a boat with all day or if I'm going to get yelled at, um, I, I'm not going to book you. I, I'm also maybe I'm, – I'm a good enough angler to know like when the mistake is mine and when it's not mine. So like I don't need a guide yelling at me. I don't respond well when I go – in particular, this is a saltwater thing. I don't respond well to being yelled at. I know when I blew a cast, the guy doesn't have to remind me. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm at. I'd rather fish with someone that's chill. I'm going to have a good time. You know, they know where the fish are. I can go out there and make some casts. It's relaxed. I generally fish better too without that pressure. Yeah. If I don't have that pressure of like, I'm going to get yelled at if I blow this cast, I, I, I tend to fish better. So um, I think it just depends on the reputation um, but there's a lot of good guides out there that catch big fish that have good reputations. So I don't think it's that hard to like siphon through. That's the thing. It's that I think, yeah, you hit a good point right there. It's that there are so many good guides out there that have good reputations that just book them. Yeah. You know, and ask your friend or ask us if you guys want a guide recommendation. I know a lot of guides all around Texas um, who are going to treat you guys right. So y'all, you, you can reach out, and, and, and we'll set you guys up. We'll try to help you set up for success if you want to like fish in Texas. And I even know a lot of guides that are like in other states too. So, um, yeah, to, just let me know, and, and we'll get you guys lined out. So, Can um, you imagine, like, your trout guide screaming at you? I'm just, like, picturing that, like, saltwater style. Like, no, no, gas drip, no. <laughs> You're like, you know, nip, generally, nip, tr- no, drip, drip. generally trout guides are more chill. It's like, oh, we're on the river. We're floating, so having chill. a good time. It's usually saltwater guides that are right. salty and tend to I'm just imagining like a mad. saltwater guide guiding trout yelling like, drip, drip, nip, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> no. Why yeah. would you? And no. I've, I've also been like, 
on a boat before too where I got blamed for making a mistake that it the guide actually made the mistake but turned the blame on to me. So I'm not going to get into like the details of it, but in, in a lot of people probably wouldn't realize that. So it's hard to, so, you know, if a guide says you screwed it up, you probably think it, but I've fished enough to know, like I know when I make the mistake and I know when not, when yeah. I, when I don't. So, and, and that's very rare, but, um, yeah. Did you move the boat the wrong way? Move the boat the wrong way. Yeah. Did he position you the wrong way? Is that what he positioned the boat the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. Yeah, and I didn't say anything, but it was just like, you know, it, it is what it, it is. And then they blame you because you make too. a bad cast, and really the, the boat position wasn't in a good spot. And then uh, it's just, anyway. I think it's good to, to like, realize that, like, there's a huge difference between them chapping you a little bit and that, and them just being excited and them being like, just disrespectful, yeah. like all around. Like I have no problem with a guy yelling, but if they're using profanity or if they're like chewing me out, like I'm like, I'm paying you like I'll straight up flex on them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, and versus like, I'm okay with them being like a basketball or a football coach and yelling a little bit, but if they're just downright berating people, like that's just not acceptable in life. Yeah, like and, to treat people. Well, like and that. I I know too. Like I will will ask or, this. I, mean? oh. I will ask this question. Will's a good friend of mine. I have fished with Will a lot. Will responds better to the pressure and the to a guide that's a little bit more aggressive oh does he and some people would rather have that that's just not me so you know it all it all comes down to personal preference if, if you think you're not going to respond to respond to that well um i tend to be like like just generally as a person more prepared and have things set up in advance and stuff like that as to not stress myself out in the future and it, it comes down to the same thing in fishing. I don't want to be stressed out while I'm on the water. Some people respond better to faster, like, stress happening right now. And so maybe, like, if you're that type of person, and based on Will's career field, I would say he's that type of person, and yeah. it, it makes sense for him. So uh, I think that's all our questions, or all the ones that I'm going to, all the ones I'm going to ask. Um, we can move on into our segments. Cool. We just get three tonight. Three, yeah. Ian, you want to go first? Articles? 
Yeah. 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 Give me one second. All right. We got Ian with Neat Things in Nature. That's pretty neat. Neat Things in (laughs) Nature. This is actually going to be Neat Things in Space. Oh, is this a flat Earth cool. space or is this a round Earth space? Sphere. Yeah, this is a hollow Earth space. So uh, a hollow oh. Earth. I haven't heard that theory yet. Yeah, no. You haven't heard the hollow Earth. Uh-uh. Um, I heard about the crater Smithsonian. Earth Yeah. Uh, Smithsonian posted this. Um, they posted this on. We're trying to give credit. June eleventh of this year. SmithsonianMag.com and so what they're doing is the International Space Station is being used to track animal migration which I thought was super cool that's really Uh, cool yeah like and I don't know how it works but I mean as far as like do you rent space on it but yeah they're tracking animal migration habitats um, you know species and they have like transmitters um that can transmit the animal's location, I guess. Uh, I was kind of reading the article, and they're looking at, I think it's like birds, mammals, um, things like that. And it, it looks like, and I don't want to misquote, so if you work for Smithsonian or are part of it, they put these like solar-powered tags on the animals. Um, they have antennas on them, and uh, those antennas uh, communicate with the International Space Station and um, they can track where animals are moving um, all around the world, which I thought was really cool. Like, I'm yeah. kind of a space nerd in general, but like monitoring those movements, like way out there. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's, I would not have thought they'd be able to track animals from space. Yeah. That and is really neat. The, the antenna has signals. Um, from like little transmitters and they tagged like over 800 species of animals, um, elephants, bats, uh, mammal, different mammals. Um, so it's like really exciting. I don't necessarily know what they're going to do with the data, but uh, well, I guess they're probably just I mean, tracking like you would track, you know, for any animals, but yeah. that's still pretty, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. That's really cool. And I always thought it'd be cool to like, to like shoot a tagged bird or something, get to call it in and, you know, they tell you where the bird's been and stuff like that. The space station has like a camera, like the (laughs) transmitter stops working. If you like shoot a deer, (laughs) (laughs) just immediately. But, um, yeah, so that's, that's, this is kind of a little different than my normal segment, but, um, we can send people a link, but if you just go to smithsonian.mag, it's, um, yeah, you can look it up, but yeah, they're using the space station to track animals. That's really cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Next segment up is going to be Landon's On Patrol. On Patrol. Um, and we are continuing with our cold case files. Ooh. Let's be the next serial. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be the next serial. <laughs> Those are big shoes to fill. <laughs> this one, last week I brought you a story from Big Bend. The one cold case file I could find from Big, Big Bend. This one is from Guadalupe Mountains National Parks. We're hitting the national parks in Texas first. Um, This one is a little bit different, though, as in like a cold case, as in it's not um, necessarily like thought to be a murder, but the title is um, 
Guadalupe Mountain's plane crash mystery continues to baffle investigators. Okay. When the plane crash? Um, let me let, let me read the article. Okay. Um, the cause of the fire and explosion which left 30 acres of the Guadalupe Mountains National Park scorched is still a mystery to federal investigators and park officials. Eyewitnesses initially called the fire in as a plane crash back on December 8th. Um, and this Bro. article is a couple years old now. Uh, the Federal oh. Aviation Administration now says it did discover remnants of a plane on the mountainside during its aerial search after the December crash, but that the wreckage of the aircraft has been on the mountainside since at least 2014. So this happened in 2015, but um, they think there was a plane crash, but what they're finding from like uh, Google Maps is an old plane crash. Okay. So it's kind of like, it's really interesting. Uh, from what we can tell by air, the aircraft has been there for a while, um, said FFA, Mid-States Public Affairs Manager. We looked at Google Earth, which shows a shiny spot on those exact coordinates. It wasn't there in 2012, but it was there in 2014 when the satellite shot a new photo of the same area. Uh, the tail number of the old plane wreckage just discovered appears to have been painted over with orange paint to obscure it at some point before the crash. Um, the ruggedness of the terrain has kept investigators from reaching the actual crash site. National park officials told the Carlsbad Current uh, Argus that they are not ruling out anything as far as what caused the 30-acre fire on December 8th, but nothing has confirmed a plane crash. Um, the fact that if it was a forest fire event, that it wouldn't have ignited that rapidly or in that large of area, we just don't have any answers yet. The FFA says it is still an open accident investigation. Okay. And this was reported on by, like, CBS 7 in Midland. Cool. Um, but, yeah, like a super mysterious plane crash. Um, they're trying to figure out what caused the fire. They think it might have been a plane crash, but then they found an old plane crash that they don't know exactly what happened. That has nothing to do. Like, the dates could not be Correct. lined up. And they use Google Maps. Like, Google Maps dates, like, the plane crash was there was not there then, and then it's there But no one reported anything. Correct. So it's basically like this plane crash is there. No one knows what happened, really, and uh, it's under investigation. And probably the reason, you you got to think that if you could actually get to the plane and get some information on it, that they'd be able to figure out pretty quick what the deal is. But with the terrain being so rugged and it being really hard to get to and resources probably limited, that's what's been preventing them. And that's why they're relying on satellite images. Right, sure. That's cool. Yeah. So if you guys know anything about a mysterious plane crash. Hey, man. If anybody knows. Give help, us a call. Help us be the next serial. Call one eight hundred. Call 1-800-HONEYHOLE-ANGLING. That's way too many numbers, but call that number. (laughs) What was the article from? Uh, CBS 7 in Midland. And they painted over the the tail tag? Um, From what they can tell from satellite images, the tail tag was painted over. Yeah, that's probably something illegal. Yes. That's like a... I guarantee you that's like an FAA... um, uh, it's probably something very illegal, especially if you're painting over yeah. like identification numbers. Oh yeah. yeah. Cool. That's that's sketchy. Well, awesome guys. Okay. Creature watch. Who is ready for creature watch? I am. I am. Oh. I'm ready. I like the little cheer I got going on. Um, okay, guys. So today, in honor of being spooky season. 
And Halloween coming up, I bring you the history of the lycanthrope. Or known as the werewolf. Ooh. So, some believe that these creatures fully turn into wolves, while others say that it's actually part wolf, part man, like what we're used to seeing in movies. Um, one thing is for sure, they're all bloodthirsty animals who cannot control their thirst, and that's across pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not one known origin that's like takes it as like, oh, we, we created the werewolf, but... Uh, back in the 1700s, there was a book called The Epic of Gilgamesh, and it is the oldest uh, written prose in like Western civilization. Mm-hmm. And um, it was the first debut where Gilgamesh turned her lover into a wolf. Mm. So I read that book in school. Did you really? Yeah. I guess we get with it being like the oldest Western prose, it has some. Yeah, it was like seventh grade English, probably. Yeah, Mr. Parsons' like... class. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. No, no, that wouldn't have been seventh grade. That would have been like, that would have been like, uh, like tenth grade, mm. ninth or tenth grade, freshman, probably freshman year. Mr. Parsons' freshman year. Yeah, that might make high sense. school. Yeah, that that's probably more realistic. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so it has early appearances in Greek mythology as well. Uh, and the reason why werewolves are also known as lycanthropes is because of a, uh, in Greek mythology, there's a, a guy named Lycorn, Lycam, and he was the son of Pelascus. Uh, and one day he served Zeus, uh, like a kid, you know, to eat. And so, uh, as punishment, punishment, Zeus turned him into a wolf. Would that hmm. be considered the first kid's meal? <laughs> Gosh. Gosh. <laughs> oh You're God. on a roller day cliff. <laughs> Just <laughs> <laughs> Especially with what was said off air. <laughs> oh man. Dang. Oh. Uh, so werewolves are also there's many different origins as well. Um many stories claim that uh it was men who wanted great things in life so they decided to make deals with demons and they turned them into werewolves mm. uh, a man named peter stubes old he was peter from stubes old peter stubes he was uh, in germany and he was executed after people said they saw him shapeshift into um a wolf he's just break dancing yeah i don't know but what the weird, year was this this was uh in 1800s mm. early 1800s um but the weird thing is, once they got him, they kind of, like, forced him to admit. Uh, so he claimed that the way he turned into a wolf was that he had a magic belt that would help him turn into a wolf and eat the townspeople. Hmm. He admitted so, to it. Yeah, so this... Admitted to yeah, it. So Peter Stoop is the first, uh, like, case that we know of somebody actually admitting to being a werewolf. Hmm. And when this happened, it started a whole werewolf scare across the whole world. Um, it was also right at the tail end of our witch movement, our witch hunt movement mm-hmm. in America. And so we kind of the rolled. witch trials? Yeah. The, so, well, the witch trials were about 200 years before this. But towards the end of the 1700s, another witch hunt season in America was on the rise. And as this died, people started claiming that men who were mischievous or drunk were actually werewolves mm. turning into wolves at night and doing whatever they wanted. Mm. Um, 
So the legend of the full moon and like how werewolves turn into the creature on a full moon actually has uh, some science behind it. So in Newcastle, they did a study that found that after one year uh, of marking every violent and every violent act that a man committed, 23% of them happened on a full moon. Hmm. So is not like a burger joint of what? No, that's White Castle, my bad. Yeah, no, Newcastle. <laughs> no. Newcastle, I believe, is a place <laughs> yeah. in England. Yeah, up in White Castle. Yeah, right. Uh, but, I mean, like, think about it. Like, out of a year, if only one night a month is a full moon, 23%, 23%. of everything happened there. So, one of yeah. every four. I mean, that's pretty pretty substantial. I mean, moon, moon phases affect a lot. You know, moon phases affect ladies, apparently. Right, I don't know. And uh, they affect the tides. <laughs> yeah. And apparently they affect the murder rates. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so there's also a, uh, another story called Peter the Wild Boy. So he was found in 1725 uh, naked, wandering in the woods on all fours. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Many thought he was raised by wolves because he couldn't speak and he ate with his hands. Um, fun fact, he was later adopted by King George the first and second as their pet. So wow, yeah, they kept uh, a boy as a pet. He was eating with his hands, like as opposed to like a fork. Yep, and then he couldn't speak, mm. and so uh, you know today we would say that he probably had some sort of ailment or disability. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many believe that they be- can become a werewolf by wearing a belt. They believe that you can be bit. Or you can fall asleep outside during a full moon, and that will automatically turn any person into a werewolf. Really? Yep. They also say that if you want to be a rare animal, you find their paw print, fill it full of water, and drink out of it, and you can turn into that animal. Mm. Well, hmm. do people remember, like, let's say you fall asleep outside on a full moon and you turn into a werewolf. Do people, like, recollect? what they did during that it seems like in movies it's like it's always like a hazy memory of like was i a werewolf or was i just dreaming it's like that'd be interesting to know i think some do and some don't i mean like that guy willfully chose to put on the belt to Mm. eat people you know um also uh theus of livonia which is a real person stated in court that he was a hound of god and that he would turn into a werewolf by God's uh, command and go to hell to fight the demons. So, yeah. Was... Wait, what? What year was this? <laughs> oh, man. Everything was like in the 1700s. 1700s, Yeah, that's about right. You know. So, yeah, so he totally... Can you imagine being in court and some guy's like, I'm a wolf of God? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, you're like on the jury, and you're like, this dude is guilty. Yeah. <laughs> Did you just say he's a wolf for dog for God? He's a dog for God. The judge is like, uh, never heard that one before. Right. Uh, and finally, the most recent sighting was a rancher in Montana in 2016. He killed a large, weird dog-like creature. Uh, some people believed to be a dire wolf. Others thought it was a werewolf. And uh, the rancher... It Joe- wasn't an actual wolf. Nobody knows. There's a picture of it online. Oh, is there? Yeah. It's just big. Um, it looks kind of weird. 
the rancher joked that he must have had a silver bullet in his gun. So, for, for those of you that don't know the lore, uh, silver bullets are what traditionally kill a werewolf in movies and books and mm. stuff like that. Maybe that guy's secretly like Van Helsing. Yeah, like a like a great great grandson of Van Helsing. Yeah, just living in Montana. He's living in Montana, like taking out werewolves. That'd be funny, man. Just like a dude, he's like, ah, you know, if I was a werewolf, Montana'd be a great place because you could like chow on cattle and stuff, and like nobody would ever find like you. free range and like randomly, some one rancher like kills one of you, like not a big deal. Right, it's like, oh man, Jerry. Yeah, but you could drag off some cattle and no one would know. Yeah, out in Montana on some of those big ranches. For sure, if one went missing, the ranch would be like, ah, oh, just part of it. Yeah. What happened? What happened? So that's it. That's my creature watch. Um, who knows what will be next week? Ooh, oh, that was a good one. Yeah, like, werewolf is. Yeah, I never really thought about classic. the origin story of a werewolf, so it's kind of neat researching. I'm just imagining werewolf. like some rancher in Montana werewolf. being like this. This baby shoots silver bullets like having his rifle. Bright. I have, but I didn't, that the quote didn't come to mind. It's a good movie. Yes. Um, what'd you say, Ian? I was going to say, I'm just imagining some rancher like patting his rifle and he's like, this baby shoots silver bullets. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like that's something a rancher would definitely yeah. say. What was that? And on? it was on it out of a six shooter, right? Probably so. Yeah. 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 He had a holster. At a hundred yards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Was that, uh, young Frankenstein? It's young Frankenstein. It's one of the two. Werewolf, werewolf. Yeah, it's young Frankenstein. Cool. Well, still that, a solid movie. Still great, yeah. That's all of our segments for today. Cliff, what's our main topic tonight? Meth in the woods. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> that is not our topic. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's what we said before we started. I thought that was a joke. Oh. I don't have any experience on that. Either no. do I. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what we talk about. Um, aren't we supposed to be talking about how we're preparing for our trip? Yeah, we got a big hunting trip this weekend. Yeah, we do. Now, first time all... Well, I guess not because Ian's not going. I wish I had like an opposite oh, creature watch and maybe I going. Did it, did it, did it, was like, do 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 do. Brum brum brum. Yeah, that's how I play. We're right gonna now. miss you, Ian. I'm gonna miss you guys too. So you want to set the stage then? Yeah. So we're going out to hunt some property. It's true. Yeah. Out near <laughs> where I grew up. You can say that's about the it. area. <laughs> yeah, mm. around Sweetwater. We have some family property. We're all going to go out there and try our hand at shooting bows at some deer, hopefully. Yeah. That's um, right. Otherwise, we'll start shooting at each other. So we've been, like, prepping and getting supplies and packing. And, like, I don't have that much camo that fits. And so just, like, you know, I haven't hunted a lot in the past couple of years. You know, I, hunt, I hunted a lot growing up. And, like, I don't fit into any of my old hunting clothes. So, like, just getting camo and prepping for the weekend and trying to make the most out of the weekend. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, it should be good. And there's three of us. And um, our, our property doesn't really get hunted that much. My dad hunts. Um, my brother's hunt. But uh, it doesn't get hunted a lot. So, not a lot of pressure. It'll, it's going to be a fun weekend. Um, Sweetwater, we're like, we're, we're south of Sweetwater and uh, it's super windy. So that's something that's going to be different than maybe like maybe cliffs hunted. It's like, it's going to blow your, it's, it's just like basically Lubbock winds are higher where we're at. Yeah. It's, 
it, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So uh, the wind is definitely something that's going to be a different obstacle. Like wind is obvious. I know you said earlier, Cliff, that like um, you use a lot of. You said you use a lot of cover scent because you're still learning, like how to hunt in the wind. Um, That'll be well, important. playing the wind. Playing because, the like, wind. I, I'm really bad about like making sure that I'm always walking into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just don't think about it. Especially sometimes you see animals and like your heart research racing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though you should be thinking about the the wind, that's usually the last thing on my mind. Yeah. You're trying to be quiet. You're trying, you know, there's a lot of things going through, through your head. But the wind is going to be obvious. There's windmills out there. So the wind direction is also going to be obvious. You're going to be able to look up and you're going to be able to see basically at all times which way the wind's blowing and with the front blowing in like a day before i guess the front's blowing in on friday no it's blowing in maybe because i was on weather underground looking at it today actually and i think it's supposed to start coming in tomorrow Mm -hmm. and then sunday it's going to drop that's going to be or saturday friday it's going to be dropping that's going to be the coldest and then saturday the high is like 80, but the low is like 58. So mm-hmm. we'd probably be hunting in the mornings, and it's probably high 50s, mid 60s. Yeah, but the wind chill, it's going to be, with the front having blown in, it's going to be extra windy, and it's already normally windy, so it's going to feel definitely colder. Um, and it looked like the wind was going to be swirling all around us. According to Weather Underground, that arrow went all directions. Mm. Did it? Uh-huh. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, but, yeah, just, like, prepping for our trip this weekend. And I, um, Gabe even asked, and one of his questions I didn't ask is, like, how do you research scout hunting on public land? Like, I grew up out there, so, like, I know the land really well. Cliff has been spending a lot of time on OnX just to get himself familiar with What's out there. And that's why I didn't have a story this week. <laughs> Cliff's been too excited about hunting this weekend to <laughs> do his C4. He's been looking at all that. Um, yeah. So Cliff's been like like looking at maps, trying to get himself familiar with um, the property and what's out there and where he might want to hunt. Um, my biggest concern is like how everything's really overgrown in that area. And so... Just the amount of growth out there is going to make it hard to find, like, good... Clear paths. Good, clear but paths. But according to... Never mind, I don't want to say that on the podcast. Never mind. You don't want to say I'll, what? I'll tell y'all after. Because okay. it's kind of like a tip of the trade that I recently learned. Okay. And the property actually looks pretty good for that. Cool. Okay. Um, but we are bow hunting, so that's... A good thing you gotta get close anyway. Yeah. So. Are you guys bringing a rifle? I don't think I'm going to. Well, we can't shoot a deer with a no. rifle. We can only shoot hogs. But I'm probably man. just gonna. But like, I'm. I'm probably just gonna. We're only there for a short weekend. Like, if I see a hog, I'm gonna shoot at it with my bow. Yeah. I might bring a 22. That way, if we get bored, we can go plink rabbits. No, I don't think we're gonna get bored because my dad's got work for us to do when we're not hunting. Mm. Okay. <laughs> well, now the truth comes out. <laughs> no, he needs us to help remove a tree. Uh, that might fall on the Hilton soon. What's the, the Hilton? The Hilton, we have like a little hunting cabin out there. Is that what we're staying in? It is like, no, we're staying at my dad's house. Because 
he lives on property now, so it's just like with us being a short weekend, and it's towards the back of the property, and it hasn't been maintained. To go out there and get it set up would take a ton of time. So it's like I'd rather I want to stay at his house to maximize the amount of time we can hunt. And you said I would rather pitch a tent than go out there down there. Gotcha. And now if we went like like next year. If we went like three weeks before season, spend a weekend getting everything prepped for the season and getting like everything set up, then that'd be be a different story. Yeah, but with being literally Friday evening to Saturday through mm -hmm. Sunday midday. Yeah, yeah, because I don't even think we're going to be able to scout like I wanted to on Friday. No, it's going to be dark when we get there. Yeah. Speaking of, you're riding up with me, correct? So I think. I'm going to take my own car just because of COVID stuff okay. with being in a car for a few hours. I don't know what I'm leaving yet. All right. Let's just kill the earth. <laughs> no, really, I just don't want to drive up by myself, but mm-hmm. it's, it's fine. Well, I might ride up with you then if I get off late, if I get off work late. But we can talk about plans later. We don't want to bore our, our audience with our driving plans. Yes, they do. They want to hear it. They, they already plans. asked Ian what he listens to on the way to the river. That's a good question, though. Yeah. Yeah, but maybe they want to and know. half the bands Ian said I'd never even heard of before. What? But maybe they want to know what truck games Landon and I are going to play on the way up to Sweetwater. I don't know. Probably Dude, Zach spot. and I were vibing with the music, man. Right? We're That's on the same going, wavelength yeah. right there. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, just prepping, packing, like, I wash my clothes, um, packing everything up, getting everything ready. Yeah. Um, got some ranch waters. Got some ranch waters. Got some whiskey. Yeah. I think we're going to try to do a, like, mini podcast out there. Not like a normal show, but just, like, get a campfire going. Mini maybe one. get an extension cord with some podcast equipment out there. Yeah. Let's see what we can do. Maybe do a small video. Yeah. We're going to unpack Cliff's Go Box. Okay. But Cliff, you're the biggest prep guy. So, like, what preparations for you? How are you prep? Or how are you, like, how are you scouting? Because Gabe asked that question specifically. How to scout public lands. But pretend my place was a piece of public land. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? How, what, like, tools are you using to scout? So... What I do is I pick out where I want to go. So I have a place in mind already. And then, uh, so like for this weekend, I've never been to Landon's Ranch. So it's a completely new piece of property. I've never been to that part of the state even. So I have no clue what to truly expect. It's real Texas. So I got Landon to send me the address. And from there, he just dropped a pin on Apple Maps. So from there, I just had to scout around on on X using things that I knew. So I searched in whatever county that is. Nolan County. So I searched in Nolan County using Landon's last name. Some stuff popped up. There was a couple things that actually popped up and then I searched around and then using information Landon had previously given me, I was able to narrow it down 
And I was originally like, holy crap, is this really the property? Because I texted Landon a picture of it. And he's like, yeah, that's it. And I was like, that's way more land than I was expecting. <laughs> okay. So I got on it on Onyx, which is just the mapping service that I use. There's other ones out there like uh, I think Go Hunt has some. Hunt Wise has some. Google has one. You can use Google Earth. You can use uh, Google Maps, Apple Ash Maps. Jeeves. You can use anything that's like a any sort of mapping service, but the one I tend to use on my phone for a variety of different reasons is on X. So what I looked for originally was just the property and looking around and kind of tinkering around. What are some big features you notice about our property looking around? There's at least two bands of windmills. Correct. Uh, There's a lot of agricultural farmland to the southeast of where that little spot i think your dad's house is yes can't hunt there though right but then there's a little spot on the other side of that that looks like it's still growth like trees and stuff that i think we could if we got permission to go over there i don't think we can hunt that either but i'm just saying what it looks like on the map no no i know what spot you're talking about so then I'll turn on map layers and see what's going on. Um, I always keep my maps on the topography satellite. So with the topography, any other big features you notice? There's a giant canyon that runs straight through the middle of it. That's correct. Um, I, and I'm just asking you this because it's important to know like what you're looking for and why that would be important. From my count, so there is a canyon, and I don't know how to tackle the canyon. I've never had to hunt a canyon so i'm taking myself off the board for that i don't know what to expect on it but it does look like there's one river that runs through the majority of the property through the middle of that canyon it's a creek but yes is there fish uh yeah so we need to bring our fly rods too. i was gonna ask you that we can short make, make a short fishing video yeah we can sweet yeah. okay cool. the cool thing is well side note the the creek goes through being dry, like completely dry a lot, to like having a ton of water to where you can't even like cross the creek in some sections. Oh, cool. Um, but like a couple of years ago, it was completely dry, and now there's like a ton of fish in it. So I don't know how magically fish got in there, but apparently my dad's saying that there is a ton of fish. So it we just should, happens. Yeah, so like middle of the day when we're not hunting, we can go out and try to catch some fish. That sounds awesome. So other things I noticed was there was about – I think I can count three tanks on the property that I saw. There's it. I think there's there was like three. There's one. There was one big one. There's okay. So there's there's one that's, that's called Divide Lake. Um, it's on. It's and I don't know if this is one you're talking about, but it's right on the west side of our property. That is on like some of my family's property, but it's not ours. Um, but then there are some places that like we've dammed up that hold more water that look like a tank. And then there is at least one other Creek that runs through the, I believe is the top part of the property. It just skirts a corner. It looked like, um, but it did cross via on I think that one's always dry. I think I know what you're talking um, about. Um, so then what I started looking for are mainly 
edges. Am I still on? Yeah. Yeah. Mainly edges. So fields with some coverage and stuff to the sides. Um, and areas with edges and water were the main areas that I started looking at first. Mm-hmm. And then you told me that there was a fire on the north end of the property mm-hmm. a few years ago, so I'm expecting some good vegetation growth there. Sumac. So that's where I would say... Horrible vegetation growth. So poisonous, poisonous sumac? That stuff is just impossible to get rid of. So this is new information for me, so that kind of changes some things. But you said there were some trees. There might be some trees. I don't know how bad the damage... Thing is, it's so far back there, and it's hard to get to. It's not hard to get to. It's just like, it's just hard to get to. And uh, we don't really go back there that much. So I I found a few spots up there worth checking out. So I've just kind of been all over it, looking back and forth on different things. And these are all like same techniques that I would look at on public land Mm -hmm. access to. Um. And just getting ideas. Now, out of all the spots that I marked on on X that are that looked good to me, the way I have them marked are possible spots. So I'm not even saying that these are spots I'm going to. I'm saying these are areas that I would like to check out with and, boots on the ground. And it's hard because you want to get boots on the ground, even like public land. And a lot of the like, you know, big public land hunters that I like, I know a guy in Utah who's a big public land hunter for elk. He's out scouting a month before the season, getting a getting an idea for the layout of the land, putting boots on the ground, getting his eyes. So he's probably using maps, going out there, checking it out, seeing what it looks like. Um, and so I forgot where I was going with that point. But, but, yeah. but the, you know, getting like, so like Gabe asked, um, how do you research scout hunting on public lands? It's always a good idea to go and check out the property beforehand. And Cliff, I know you've done that for like public land deer hunting um, that you've looked at in Texas. And I know you've also like checked out Dovely's, like some of the Dove lands before we got out there. Yeah. Uh, It's always good. Nothing's going to beat having eyes and boots on the ground Mm -hmm. for like some of the more detailed stuff that I can't read on a map. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do always get on map services and look at them. A, I'm a map geek. I've always liked looking at maps and mm-hmm. charts and stuff like that. Apparently, your name's on a map. Is that right? Huh? Your name's on a map? You helped create a map? Oh, that's cool, Cliff. One of the caving maps with Greg. Yeah, but that, that gets your name on it, right? I don't I don't know if he I think it does. Name. I don't know if he did my name on it or not. Dude, that's serious business. Yeah. Man. Ain't no one going to read that. Sorry, map. that sounded way more sarcastic. <laughs> that sounded super sarcastic. That was not the intention. I'm like, Dang. that's cool. But I have always, like, kind of geeked out on maps. I like looking at them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I'm not saying that I'm great at it, but, like, e-scouting does, like, play into that for me. Mm-hmm. And I like just looking at different properties. Like, if I'm bored at work and have time, I'll just go through, like, yeah. different spots in Georgia, of like, where I grew up and see how it changed. Or if I want to look at the Eiffel Tower, I'll go into France and then I'll like zoom in on the Eiffel Tower and then back out through like areas of France and yeah. all this other stuff. And and the other thing is like when it comes down to it, nothing beats like time out there 
And so, like, I can only imagine we go out this weekend, we learn some lessons, and if we do this trip again or when we do this trip again, then we're going to have how would we approach this differently? Because right. I've never approached it from an archery standpoint. Because, Cliff, you said you didn't know how to dissect the canyon. That's all I've ever grown up hunting is, like, the canyon walls and, like, hunting into the canyon. But that's not an archery option because the canyon is legitimately tall. Yeah. And you can't take a shot from the top. And shots end up being really long when you're shooting like two to 300 yard shot is so is there a way to very get in, common. Is there a way to get into the Canyon and then hike around there? It's hard. There's some places where you can hike down, but it, it in the, some of the spots, it's a straight, it's a straight drop. Sure. So like, even I like, I thought it'd be cool to do like, you know, sit up on the Canyon, look, pull it, pull out some like optics, look around and then maybe like make an approach on an animal. Yeah, for but sure. But that is going to be very difficult with how the canyon is. So, to do then. so I, I, I took the approach of looking at like the maps in like two different, three different stages. At first I did my maps of how I would normally look at it. And then I got a quick crash course in like what other friends who I highly respect in hunting look for and then I kind of try to approach it from, like, their eyes. So I'm not saying, like, even the stuff that I have marked is, like, 100% gold. And, like I said, I'm not going to know anything until I put eyes on the ground. And then we start checking wind issues. Yeah. Other than that, what I've been doing to prepare for this hunt is, like you said, just making sure my stuff is washed up. And, like like I said, I'm mm-hmm. really paranoid on scent. So all my clothes during hunting season, even my normal clothes ends up being washed in scent killer or something like that detergent. And I keep scent killer stuff on me at all times. Mm -hmm. I use all that and just making sure everything's like just up, you know, keeping it in a ozone closet. And I've, I've never worried about scent personally. Like I'm only, I'm doing the scent killer stuff because I know how much closer we have to be when we're hunting, but I've also like hunted a super windy area and like wind direction has always been a concern. So it's like, I've never worried about my scent because I've always been no, concerned about that, wind direction. That's a, if you're good at wind direction, then that's the, that's that to me is more important than the scent control. I'm see, but it goes back to the podcast of 1% benefit. Yeah. Yeah. But also too, like in Lubbock, at least like wind can change, you know, it can be coming in two different directions. For sure. I will say, though, that, like, predominantly winds come from specific directions based on... And, like, all, things can change, but, like, there's predominant wind directions out there. Yeah. Um, depending on what, like, you know, if a front blows in or if the wind's blowing from this direction. So It looked like a lot of it was going to be coming from the southwest to the northeast. I don't know if that's typical or what, but that's what a lot of the indicators on Mm -hmm. the weather underground app showed but it also did change anywhere from going southeast to northwest to southwest to northeast and everywhere Mm -hmm. in between like it it looked like it was going to switch a good in fronts always blow like everything up yeah so um but i think that's like a lot of good tips and like like we like we've been saying, like we're not experts. We're trying to learn this, and we're trying to like pass on information that as we're learning to help you guys out um, as well. So, 
we're going to go out there. We're going to give it a shot, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, we'll be able to feed our family when it's all said and done. You know, sister wives. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> Cliff, you're on a roll wow. today. <laughs> um, Ian, do you have any closing words of wisdom for us? No. No. Um, I want. Do, we need to do like Ian's closing words every week. We need you to like. You're so creative. Just wrap it up in like some kind of like pretty bow. And I know I'm putting you on the spot right now, but um, oh, dude, you want what? Um, words of wisdom just in life. Yeah, make a fast. Don't take it too seriously. <laughs> I like uh, that. Ian. No, I'm just kidding. Don't invest um, in Enron. Don't invest in Enron. <laughs> <laughs> don't invest. Yeah. Um. Man. I kind of like Ian's closing words of wisdom, but I just don't have anything. Yeah, well, okay. We, we're not going to put you on the spot this week, but like I don't I, invest in Enron is a good one. Yeah, yeah good. we'll, we'll end on that today. Go vote because everyone talks about voting, so I'm not going to say go vote. I'm, no, no, say no, no, wisdom. say encourage people to vote. And here's the thing: if you don't de- vote, re- you don't get to complain. Yeah, I'd like that. Deregister to vote. That's what I'm trying to do. Everyone's right. registered to vote. I'm trying to unregister. <laughs> there you um, go. Because I am a hipster. Uh, don't fish Tenkara. Um, <laughs> fish Tenkara if you want. Fish Tenkara if you want. Y'all have a great evening. Um, now, we live in such a postmodern society. You can, Tenkara is my truth. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not. Um, All right, guys. On that note, uh, what's your wisdom? What's your wisdom? We'll see you guys Sorry, next week. Sorry, it's mine. Um, oh, I have a good one. Uh, don't get Chinese takeout during COVID because that's why I missed the last podcast. Oh, <laughs> gosh. All right, well, I guess on that note, so, on that note we'll see you guys next week. like Chinese once a week and never get sick. China Harbor Challenge. Okay, that gets you sick. <laughs> but only for the 15 minutes after. All right, see you guys. <laughs> <laughs>